Okay, so Anya, you have lined up a pretty incredible guest for today. We are going to be talking to Mike, who's the incredible cat dad for Lil Bub. Yes, I am so excited to chat with him today. I, I've been following Lil Bub for a couple of years now, and anytime Lil Bub popped up on my feed, I couldn't help but smile, and she just brought so much joy to my social feed. And, you know, I know that she left a really big impact on the animal world and not just in the animal world, but also for all the followers that enjoyed following her day-to-day posts. And so I'm just, I'm really, really excited because I've been following this account for a long time. So I kind of feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. Well, you are talking to a celebrity. And we're also going to learn about Mr. Marbles, who is um, taking a page out of Bub's book and has some very, some very big paws to, to fill as he helps you know, us all remember little Bub and, and her legacy. Let's get going. Thank you for joining us this morning and uh, taking the time. And I, I'd love to first like give people a little bit of background on you and who you are. You, you work in the music industry and also you have a background in cat influencers, but I'd love to get a little more background to you personally. I am a recording engineer. First and foremost, I went to school to learn about audio engineering, and then I opened a recording studio. I guess this is, you know, it all it all started in like 1995 when I was a kid, and <clears throat> that's all I ever wanted to do. And it's what I focused my life on from a very early age. And then I opened a recording studio called Russian Recording um, after graduating from college. That's around 2003. And then I was running the studio for about 11, can't do math, about eight years. Um, And during those eight years, I had sort of um, started accumulating microphones and cats. The two things that <laughs> the two things that occupy my life, and so my first cat Roscoe, um, I he sort of found me when I was moving out of my college home into my r- first recording studio. And, a, and was and this a, the first and, cat you had ever owned? Like my own cat. Yeah, I grew up with yeah. cats, and I didn't I didn't like him actually very much. I mean, I've always liked animals, but I wasn't like into cats. But then this cat Roscoe found me, and he was my first cat, and he was he was a special needs cat. Um, he was just a stray that sort of started following me around while I was moving, and he wouldn't leave me alone. And it's like my other two roommates were around moving too, but he didn't care about them. He only cared about me, and he would follow me in as I would like collect my stuff and just sit next to me. He was just a stray cat I guess and um he was awesome and I took him to the vet and he had um FIV and so I had to give medicine and it was my first pet unfortunately he got hit by a car and that was pretty pretty hard uh only after a year um but shortly after that uh but he sort of is uh He's the cat that made me like a cat person. Um, And since then, I have adopted, rescued, or found 
about eight or nine cats, I think. Um, wow, over the course of yeah. how many years? Oh, I guess it's been, I don't like to think about how many years it's been. <laughs> uh, 17? What year is it? No, 19 years. Wow. 20 years. Yeah, I found Roscoe in 2021. And my uh, first, my son's named after that cat, Roscoe. That, that's um, amazing. <laughs> well, uh, my wife Stacy doesn't like to say that he's named after him, but he, his name is inspired by him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I don't I know. I like the that. Inspired. It's right. <laughs> a good change. Yeah. Well, they're spelled differently a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. And then very shortly after Roscoe is when I found my next cat, Oscar, which I thought was like kismet because he was up for adoption and nobody wanted him. They were going to put him down. He was at the spec clinic. He was a very aggressive feral cat. And they warned me. But he looked like him, so, like like Roscoe sort of. Um, and it, it's almost like Roscoe's letters were rearranged into Oscar. And so this cat... They told, they warned me, they put me in a room with him and I came out with like cuts all over my arms. He was a very crazy, aggressive cat, but I adopted him anyway. And over time he became a really sweet cat. Um, and then only months after that, I found special agent Dale Cooper, who's still with me and he's still my recording studio cat. And he's 19 years old. That's my favorite name, that by the way. Year. Very By good, far. yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Big big Twin yeah. Peaks fan over here. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. All my um my other cat, so my cat after that was Josie, also a Twin Peaks name. Um and that's a funny story because I saw her at, you know, Pet Smart has cats available for adoption. And she was there with her sister, who is even cuter than her. But um I really liked her. She had a little stubby tape, uh, like a bobtail sort of thing. And uh, But I didn't need another cat because I already had Oscar and Coop. And so I left and I said, if she's still there in a week, I'll, I'll adopt her. And I came back and she was still there. But not only that, oh, but so I also already came up with a name, which was Josie after Twin Peaks. And when I came back to, the, to PetSmart, they had like the little clipboard that had info in her name and her name was already Josie. Wow. <laughs> so that was a sign. <laughs> that was a sign. So I took the cat. Does she take um, her, uh, her coffee with trout? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, she probably would. Yeah. Or she'll just, just the, the trout. Is it, there's a fish in the percolator. Do they say it's trout? I can't remember. I assume trout. I mean, they have salmon in the Pacific Northwest, but those seem too big for the percolator. Oh, so I was like, I feel expert. like trout is probably, <laughs> probably the right fit. I, I like to think so. <laughs> you know, all the different fish in all the different regions. <laughs> Julia knows a lot of things that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> Like, usually that's none cool. of it's very helpful. <laughs> uh, that's helpful to, to, yeah, I guess to fish lovers. But um, <laughs> so at that point I had three cats, Coop, Josie, and Oscar. 
and it stayed that way for a while. And then Viv, so this is connected to Twin Peaks. Then um, got this cat Vivian. Actually, my girlfriend at the time adopted her or took her in, but she lived at my studio, the cat did, because my girlfriend didn't really have a permanent home. And then she became very close. And her name, she named her Vivian Party Pants, but I just called her Vivian. And I thought, well, that breaks the cycle of the Twin Peaks names. Now, do you know this? Who's Vivian in Twin Peaks? It's not the log lady's real name, is it? No, that's a pretty good guess. Okay, who's Vivian? Well, I didn't know until I rewatched it, and they only say her name once um, in the second season. Norma is so nervous about MC Wentz, the restaurant review critic reviewer, coming to her restaurant. And then MC Wentz gives the terrible review of the RR Diner. And then Norma finds out that MC Wentz is actually her mother. <laughs> and her mother's name is Vivian. So. Wow. I, I, I have that, to that's say, probably the most little... deep cut Twin Peaks reference I've cut. ever heard in my entire life. I've never met it. The only reason I know is because I was so excited that Vivian was also a Twin Peaks character. <laughs> So, well, if they ever do a re- reboot of the show, um, I feel like your cats need to be part of it somehow. Yeah, they need to be a, <laughs> they need to appear. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, yeah. so you, it sounds like this cat theme in your life was kind of accidental from the beginning. Yeah. And then, and then you got, Lil Bub, can you give us the story, the background story of how Lil Bub came into your life? Uh, sure. So, yeah, <clears throat> basically, we were all caught up. I had these four cats. They all lived in my studio. Um, it was a lot to have. Like, the studio wasn't a great place to live in the first place. And then all there's four cats, and they were it was just hard to sleep, and they were all over the place. I loved them, obviously, but it was time for me just to find a place to live. Uh, that so I wasn't living where I worked, and I got this little apartment like a block away, and there it's very small, no room for cats really, <clears throat> and I was at the studio all the time anyway, so it was nice to have a place to like rest and not uh, constantly have cat hair in my mouth. Um, but shortly after that, a friend of mine sent me a pic of this tiny little creature, barely looked like a cat. And said, you have to meet this cat because I was, you know, sort of known as the guy that took on all these misfit pets. Um, and so I thought, well, at least I have to go meet meet the thing. It was so strange looking. And, um, you know, uh, I came over and instantly, like, so Bub was tiny like that. Like, I can't even explain how small she was. Like a mouse, mouse size. And... Um, she just sort of like scrambled over to me as soon as they sat down and just curled up in my arm and just started purring really loud. Like this tiny little mouse was purring and I, I was moved beyond. I don't I couldn't believe that this thing, this thing even existed. Uh, so I just took her home. <laughs> I was like, this 
I, first of all, she was so fragile and frail and small. I figured I knew she wouldn't live very long, and and I think that's why no one was adopting her. It it felt scary. Um, she had jumped around to like five different places. She had no teeth. She looked and she had like this scab on her lip, and her eyes were on like two sides of her head. <clears throat> um, but I thought, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. I have this new apartment without. Other cats would eat her, probably, you know. So it's like, it's a safe place for her. She can't get into a lot of trouble. I can take care of her for however long she's around, is how I felt about it. And um, so I took her home, and my vet agreed. He said, you know, that she's so strange on the outside. There's probably something going on on the inside. And he estimated, you know, six months to a year for her <clears throat> without doing any tests, but just, you know, sort of an intuitive guess. Um, and that's how it all started. And it turned, and, turned out that she was pretty spry and healthy. Oh, well, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like from the beginning, though, it was just like a very different connection to her than the other cats you had adopted. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, to, to a lot of people, we're just talking about a cat, but she was much more than a cat. I mean, there's every single cat in the world, and I love cats, and some, many are more special than others. Like Marbles, for example, is a very special cat. He's so unique. He's different than any other cat I've met, but he's still a, he's still a cat, and Bubba definitely was a lot more than a cat. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, yeah. And so when did you start posting about Lil Bub and and what prompted you to start posting about her? Well, I've always I'd always sort of posted photos of my cats at the studio. And we have to contextually like in the timeline of social media, this is 2011 and and earlier. So it Instagram wasn't even, Instagram was only around for like a year at that point and only on iPhones. But I was sharing cat pics forever. And then I got, and then mostly on Facebook <clears throat> to my friends, and I got Bub and did the same. And everyone, like the whole community sort of, sort of rallied, like my friend group rallied around her. She was so special. Then um, a friend of mine from, out of town said, oh my God, you should start a Tumblr. And I said, I don't even know what that is. And uh, she said, it'd be fun. That way all of us can like see pictures of her, like a dedicated place for it. And I said, oh, okay, that sounds fun. It was just meant to be for fun. So I started a Tumblr blog called the Bublog. And um, it, was, it was really fun because I just post pictures and then people would ask questions. Um, that's how that thing worked. And I'd make up silly answers and um, it was weird to see, you know, I figured, you know, I'd have 20 or 30 friends following it. It's like a just a funny, fun thing. And before I knew it, there was like 500 people. And I thought, who are who are these people that are following her? And then a lot of people were sending like really like messages I wasn't, wasn't expecting. Like, thanks for posting pictures of, of Bob. This is what's getting me through grad school. And it all seemed very strange. But at the same time, we made a Bub T-shirt, again, just for fun. My friend David had made shirts of his cat Smoosh, 
who he like self was a self-appointed like famous cat in our town. That was like the joke, right? Like the David decided that Smoosh was famous and made t-shirts. Again, you have to realize this is before there was such thing as a famous cat. Like Maru, that cat, the YouTube cat was maybe the only famous cat. It wasn't like a thing that the way it is now where everyone's got to try to have famous cat and there's been a bunch of them and a history of it. There was nothing like that. So he also made a bub shirt for fun. And then we made like a funny rivalry of little bub and smoosh who's on which team. And so just sort of serendipitously, these shirts were ready right when like one of bub's Tumblr posts went viral. And back then viral meant like 20,000 somethings. And I think the day before, maybe I posted for my friends to like pre-order a bub shirt because we were going to have a birthday party for her at my house and people could come pick up their shirt, you know, walk to my house to get their shirt at her birthday party, just doing really silly stuff in the summer in a college town, you know. Um, But somehow this photo went viral and then all these people that weren't my friends saw this pre-order link for the shirt and we got like... I don't know, a hundred shirt orders by accident. And a lot of those shirts were going to funny places like BuzzFeed and Vice Media. And my friend Jeff, who was working for me at the studio at the time, was like, I can help you do this. I used to work in fulfillment. And so, and my friend Jared printed the shirts. And so we kind of, it just sort of, that's where things, that was like the hard, hard line where things got really weird. Um, because once the shirts went to people working at BuzzFeed and those people found, because I didn't realize she got to the front page of Reddit. So it was sort of like this very serendipitous thing where I had these t-shirt pre-orders just for friends expecting like 20 shirts. But then the next day this photo went viral and went to the top of Reddit. And then all these people behind their desks at BuzzFeed or wherever see that Bub's at the, this cat's at the top of Reddit they go to her Tumblr and they see that there's shirt pre-orders. This is crazy, they think. And they buy all these shirts really fast. And then all the shirts um, get delivered and they're wearing their shirts around the office. And then everyone else at BuzzFeed and Vice sees Bub and says, what is that? Because it was a cool shirt, you know? It was. And there was, I think, it became a race to who, because Bub became like this underground sort of, thing which i liked you know um there's an article that vice wrote that we loved bub first or something you know it was like a a big competition over (laughs) who discovered her and all this stuff and it was a lot to wrap my head around because i've been like joking about her becoming being famous as like a inside joke and then it was really really happening and I, i wasn't sure how i felt about it i kind of was hesitant and like, I, what, what is this? I'm not sure I, I'm okay with it, you know? Which is, that feeling is what guided sort of the whole, the whole thing. I feel like the decisions I made were based on the fact that I was not super eager for it to happen. So I said, if, if this is happening, you know, it might be for a reason, but I need to be very careful and set some boundaries and rules for what, Bub 
um, how Bob's portrayed and the kind of things we do. And so she she starts going viral, and then I guess like what happened next as far as after all of that started happening and unfolding, how did you decide? All right, I'm gonna I I'm gonna start posting about her more and sharing her with people more broadly. Um, what kind of decisions did you make around that of how you wanted to make sure she was portrayed? Especially, I mean, we can, I know we're going to get into a little bit her disability and, and having feline dwarfism. Was it, I want to bring awareness to this or I just want to share her because she is so special? Well, it was a little bit of everything. <clears throat> Basically, so the shirt thing happened and then Vice did that article, but then BuzzFeed did this um Bob, Bob feature that really went viral. Like it was like their number one post and everyone was sharing it. And then good morning and good morning America called right after that. <clears throat> and that's when I was really like, uh, I don't know. And good morning America wanted to fly us in. And, uh, I mean, the story is very long, all of it. And I was really unsure because cats don't like to travel. And I said, Hey, okay. We'll fly there, but if we land and I sense that she's really stressed, we're not going to do it. But it was so weird. She just loved flying. She loved being in a car. She was, like, really excited and looking out the window and purring and, like, looking back at me. It's like a little kid, <laughs> like like a, poor, like a poor kid whose rich uncle took him on the extravagant trip to New York City or something. She was, like, like really uh, so funny. And that's so the we're perfect the description, by the way. Like, I, I can see the, the vibe totally. <laughs> yeah. It like, um, I, I'm sure I just, like, pictured some cartoon from my childhood. But <clears throat> anyway, so, yeah, and that Good Morning America thing was insane. I was so nervous. And we went around Times Square with her, and people met her, and she was <laughs> totally fine. Um and obviously that propelled things even more. Um, and then I was starting to get all kinds of emails and things. And there was a lot of really nasty stuff on the internet, believe it or not. The internet has a lot of people on it and a lot of people are nasty. And they were sending you. things to you directly or they were commenting on other publications or stuff? Yeah, mostly comments like <clears throat> um, talking about you know, there's a number of things, but talking about, oh, this cat is this or that needs to be put down or you're this, you know, acting like they know everything about my cat and whatever. Or I'll just but based on her appearance, calling her, bullying her in the same way those people would bully a person that might look different. And so then I realized, you know, there is something here and um, Bob has a voice and people are listening so I really, I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be like annoyingly activist and because um, that doesn't work. And I understood what people loved about her. There's this magic, undeniable magic that draws people to her. Like um, the same way I felt when I met her, the same way my friends felt when they met her, the same way people would, even some people not even seeing her, just her being nearby would be like, they could feel that something was in their presence, you know, something very powerful. And so uh, I made it about, you know, I gave Bubba a voice that was sort of like 
in response to people thinking that she was stupid or I'm using the quotes retarded, which was a, um, uh, a term used a lot and implying that that also meant that she was stupid or less than other cats or living people. I gave her the sort of condescending tone that was that really intelligent and well-spoken and very smart and confident. Um, and then, but also kind, you know, and, um, also made it, you know, I could see that there was a message there that, um, not only do our, not only should we not be judged based on how we look or our appearances, but that our differences are what make us special. And, you know, that's what made Bub so special is how unique she was in every way. And it also propelled, like, all the cool things we got to do. Like, she wrote a book. She she hosted her own talk show. She starred in Hollywood movies. Um, she was um, <clears throat> a part of groundbreaking genetic research. Like, all these things... It's like if if Bub can do this, so can you, you know, um, sort of like a little kitty Stephen Hawking's in a way. Oh, my um, goodness. That's going to be and, our uh, episode descriptive right there, like the kitty Stephen <laughs> Hawking's. Um, I, I want to pause for one second, though, because this this is really interesting. You know, when you said that you were reluctant at first to make her go viral, was that reluctancy related to anticipating some of these negative, horrible things that can come up on the internet? Or was it related to something? Was it about something else that that scared you? It was more like this reluctance to allow this thing. It's like a snowball effect, like to stop, to stop it or to let it happen. And, and that's very much how I treated all of this is I, I, I said some other rules, like I let it happen um, but I never pushed the snowball. Like I never like tried that. That was the rules. I, I only took opportunities as, as they came and I only took the ones that made sense and fit sort of my boundaries and rules. But my reluctance had to do with, uh, well, a couple things. One was her health and safety. <clears throat> so I, one of my rules was that her safety and health are first. And, um, I was very strict about the things if we had to travel or this or that, like certain things had to be in place. Um, but I think the, my initial hesitation had to do with the fact that I had spent my whole life wanting to play music and, and have this recording studio. And when I say my whole life, like literally from the time I was 15, I decided this is what I wanted to do. And that was all I did. I've recently been diagnosed with high-functioning ADHD, which makes sense. So, like, when I focus on something, that's all I care about. Like, it's tunnel vision. And that's how I felt about music and engineering and recording. And that's all I did. I, I worked a full-time salary job at the university doing audio engineering while running my recording studio full-time, working whatever, 90 hours a week. That's I was, like, on this freight train of... um of doing this. And it honestly wasn't going very well at the time. Um, <clears throat> it was going terribly at the time, but still when this bub thing happened, I could tell that this would consume my life potentially and would divert me. And I didn't know if I wanted to do that. Like, I, and 
in some ways, I was worried about what people would think of me. Like, oh, his cat got famous. He stopped playing in bands or that's all he cares about. But I realized that that was just a foolish, who cares, you know, true freedom is not caring what other people think. And um, I thank Bob for that because she helped, she helped me with that quite a bit. <clears throat> but um, anyway, so that was my initial hesitation. And then there was a lot of other things that came up. You know, we had all these brand managers. This was all new stuff back then, right? This is normal now. Like people, people go viral on the internet and they sign up with a manager and an agency and all this stuff. And the unique thing about Bob is that we, I always turned down all those offers. So I was the only one doing it all. Um, I was very protective of her and the messaging. And it, a lot of that came from my background in like the DIY music scene and, and, and being in punk bands or rock bands and that sort of ethos, um, anti-corporate, whatever. And so I treated Bub that way. And that's, you know, and when and that sort of dictated her fan base too, I think. <clears throat> so. And I'd love to get into more about the work that you ended up doing in terms of bringing awareness uh, to special needs animals through through her platform. Um, can you talk a little bit about feline dwarfism and the health elements that do come from that? Because you're talking about you wanted to make sure that you were protecting her health in the process of this, but then how you started, I guess, in a certain way, I know you don't want to use the term activist, but how you, I guess, became an advocate in that space of bringing yeah. awareness. Well, yeah, so that was the other thing is um, I also used her platform very simply for the very beginning, you know, just a simple message because people were listening and watching is Bub wants you to adopt, spay, and neuter your pets. It was amazing how many people don't understand why that's important. And so that's kind of how it started. And at, when she first got famous, we didn't, she didn't really have any special needs yet. <clears throat> and that was kind of the interesting thing about her story is all those things developed as, started developing after she was already pretty famous. And so it became, and I just shared her story. So the, the big thing here was that I wanted um, all of the bub world to be about her, not about, you know, other cats were getting famous at the same time. It was like this uh, golden era or whatever. Um, and, but with, with the other cats, it was all about memes and jokes and silly things. And I really didn't care for that stuff. I didn't want my bub to be a meme or a joke. Uh, on the contrary, I wanted there to be substance. And, I, and it was partially just for me. It's like, if I'm going to be spending my time doing this, and it, it literally took all of my time, at, at, even within a few months of her going viral, I want to be doing something with my life. I'm not going to, you know, I want, I want, and, and, and Bub deserves that. And um, I didn't want it to be a cash-in sort of situation. Um, so I put the work in. And and I wanted there to be substance and make a difference. So that's what Bump and I did together. So sort of as she started developing health issues, I shared them and I shared like uh, my feelings about them because, you know, we almost lost her 
within what, when she was one year old, when her bone condition started coming up. <laughs> and, uh, and that also became a way to sort of, uh, teach people about special needs pets. And Bub was a perfect example of how a special needs pet um, is actually kind of like the best pet to have. It's a little bit more work, but um, she repaid me tenfold, hundredfold or whatever. And the bond that I had with her was so much stronger than any bond I'd ever had with anyone, probably even any people. Um, and just sharing that story and then and then um, advocating for special needs pets who are the hardest to adopt and are at the highest risk of euthanasia uh, was a big deal. And, and just talking about it, we would get messages from shelters, like statistically special needs adoptions like tripled, you know, once Bub became famous and we started talking about that stuff. And that was like knowing that, you know, Bub and I were doing this work, that it was more than we were still keeping the, the, the hard thing is the balance of like doing that work, but also keeping it engaging and fun and entertaining because that's what it was. And you have to have that balance so that it all works together as like an ecosystem, because if you're all about advocacy and all about like special needs, pets, this and that, then you lose a lot of people. Um, and then on the other side, it becomes what I didn't want it to be, which is just, you know, like a, a bunch of memes and jokes and no substance. I have um, a follow-up on that because you mentioned that the audience that you felt became like the little bub audience was somewhat as a result of you avoiding the insubstantial content. If you had to describe the little bub audience to somebody who is just now getting introduced to little bub. Like, who was, who is that audience? Like were there some common themes to those people? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's shifted, you know, I think in the early days, um, like right away, well, first of all, it was prime. I would say probably 85, I think it is 85% female. So there's that. Um, but in the early days, it was like the demographic was split. Young, young women ages 18 to 34 that loved cats and loved popular culture. Um, and then older women who loved cats and adopted cats and were into animal welfare. There was this beautiful small group of like, dudes like me who weren't ashamed to love their love cats and love bub more than anything. And, um, like, and that would be like, um, I remember we had a meet and greet in California and then there was like a line of like, it was like, you know, the people you'd expect mostly ladies. And there was a line of like eight, like total metal heads, you know, like covered in tattoos and like, and I assume they're all together but they weren't. And I was like, you guys are all together, right? They're like, no, we all just met in line. <laughs> it was so funny. It was really nice to see that too, you know, that Bub was reaching the, when, 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 uh, like when something goes viral or famous like that, you really get, it's so fascinating to see that the statistics and the demographics and sort of the, the, 
don't want to say prejudices or whatever, but the things you assume actually being true. And it was, I really wanted to like break that mold a bit. And, and, and I think that helped, you know, I think it's so, and it's fascinating to me, like it's not masculine to like it for men to like cats is beyond me. And I'm glad I wasn't raised that way or like, or unaware of that. Um, where did that even come from? I mean, was that the James Bond movies? Like, where did this like weird cat sequel, like emasculine males trope even originate from? Well, I, I think it might have more to do with dogs, mm. right? Like dogs are very masculine and they go hunting with the dogs. You can't go hunt with a cat. Although you should, if you like birds to eat tiny birds. I don't know what I'm talking about, but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It is weird. But you asked me about, oh, yeah, the demographic. So that was the demographic, you know, then. And then it shifted. And we, you know, it's been 11 years since she got famous. And now we have a demographic that is very specific we Bub has these super fans that just love her more than anything and will forever, and it's it's just really sweet, and they're very supportive of our nonprofit, and they're there are like the diehard Bub fans, and I would say it's that older generation of ladies, and so I'd say it's like eighty five percent women above the age of forty and fifteen percent men above the age of forty is what it feels like. There's still you know. It's still the same demographic, but it's all like the diehard, like really obsessed with Bub. And like, for example, um, Bub had her birthday, June 21st. She and I share a birthday and I'm doing this recording session that's very like all consuming in Canada. And I didn't, I feel bad. I didn't get a post about Bub on her birthday, but part of me, I almost feel like Bub was like, dude, you don't have to do this. You don't have to feel obligated to do these things. You can wish me a happy birthday on your own and it doesn't have to be public. And that's kind of how I felt about it. And I worked really hard, like pushing that guilt away and this, like, I feel obligated to do all these things because so many people, some people care about Bub like aggressively and they claim to care about her more than me, which is like, and so, sure enough, to, was it yesterday, uh, a Bub fan posted on all my social media accounts saying, hey, you need to wish Bub a happy birthday. You forgot to do it, and she can't be forgotten, and all this stuff. And it was like, I knew something like that was happening. Why do people feel like they have to guilt me? It's my cat. Of course, I wish her a happy birthday. And it's similar to what we talked about earlier. Like these people that feel like they have these demands and expectations of people who, who exist on the internet. Like, I don't know. Anyway, um, but I do, I did actually feel sort of liberated. Like I, I stood outside and wished Bob a happy birthday and I, and she responded with thunder and, and pouring rain. <laughs> Um, I'll take it as a good sign, but um, 
And that was how I wish her happy birthday. And I felt like I don't have to do this online. I'm going to do like a belated birthday post. And everyone will probably say, I can't believe you forgot her birthday. It's like, dude, I did. I made her birthday the same day as mine. So I could never forget it. So obviously. Well, and 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 I think too, the internet, when you share, when you share certain parts of your life and particularly for someone like yourself who had such a large account for Lil Bub that, People kind of sometimes feel like they are they are equal in terms of ownership of of your moments, personal moments in your life. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and um, I mean, that was a personal moment that you wanted to, it sounds like, share on your own of wishing little Bub a, a happy birthday. And you didn't feel like the world needed needed to be part of that. Um, but, you know, I, I guess after little Bub passed, what what was the reaction like from the online community in terms of of how they responded to it and and did their overall support for you and love for her help with the grieving process or did it make it harder to lose a cat that had become so public? Yeah, I mean, her passing was, it's hard for me to talk about still. Um, it was a really hard time. Um, it was three years ago almost, and it's still hard. I kind of like try not to think about it, but um, it it was overwhelming. I have I I had to like filter the emails into a separate folder that I still haven't read, and there's like thirty five hundred emails in there. The response was, I mean, overwhelming. I can't. It's like when you think about how big our solar system is or, you know, things like that. It's like, it can't, it was unbelievable because it was, it happened suddenly. It also weirdly happened like during our holiday sale, which was, it was like the day before Cyber Monday. It was so weird. It's such a bub thing to do. You know, it felt like such a test and it's like, what is going on? Cause that's what I, you know, for that, that's what we worked towards or I worked towards the entire year and planning all that, like the holiday sales and that became an annual thing. And I had that all planned. I was like, I can't put my, Oh my God, I just, this is too much. But then as a, because of that, I didn't even have time. It's like, I didn't have time to process it because I got bombarded with all these emails and messages then the media also, of of course, like you know, people want to, everyone want to interview me. But then on our side, and like people don't realize that the Bub online store and the Bub whole that whole thing is me and my buddy Bob. Like it's been DIY and out of the back of my studio like since day one, and it stayed that way. And my buddy Jared, who built, who printed the first shirt, still does them two blocks away. You know, it was like that kind of thing. People think we're like some huge like com- like company with fifty employees or whatever, and we got so many orders that next three days we got m- like more orders that day than we'd ever than we'd gotten in the past three years, like something astronomical, and then just dealing with that, like trying to like like we have to do this work, and Bub just passed away. And it's not like, oh, you got 100 orders or 200. It's like thousands and thousands every hour, like something just un- ungodly. 
but the support was was amazing but it was too hard i couldn't co- i couldn't comprehend it really you know cuz then there's like my family and like my kids we lost our pet <sighs> Yeah, and it it happened in such a public public way. I mean, it, it's I think it's really hard to balance those things. Like everybody else's, you know, expectation on you and <clears throat> and from you during that time, but everything that <clears throat> like you need to go through as well. Yeah, sorry. You don't need to apologize. I, I mean, it's it comes through how much you love, you still love Bub and little Bub and the connection that you had um, to e- with each other. And I mean, that unbreakable bond that is, you're going to carry with you, it sounds like, for, for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the memory of that day is coming back and I kind of don't think, I try not to think about it a lot, so. Uh, oh, of course. We, uh, we because can, of the happens. <laughs> afford, no, for um, sure. We can chat yeah. about her legacy. You know, sort of, you know, what, yeah. Yeah, what so is anyway, the um, little bub legacy? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, shortly before she passed away, like six or seven weeks before that, so we started Little Bub's Big Fun for Special Needs Pets with the ASPCA. And um, it was the first national fund for special needs pets, but it was like a partnership. It was kind of like a, it sounds weird to call it a licensing deal, but that's what it was, was basically it was named Little Bub's Big Fund, but the ASPCA operated the fund. They, um, their grants department did it, and then we raised money for it, you know. <clears throat> And it was a very successful program. Uh, you know, we gave out anywhere between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars in grants each year, um, and they would do that work. Um, but then, like uh, in the fall of 2019, the ASPCA said, "Hey, we're kind of shifting gears, and we're not going to have a grants department at all anymore." So, with little bit Bub's big fund, it would have to be dissolved, or you can try, or we can like re-divert the funds to our new efforts, which was building um, clinics in, um, what's the term, in low-income neighborhoods, which I thought, oh, that's an idea. And they said, or you could take over the fund. And I thought, I have so many things on my plate, like taking over a nonprofit and starting a nonprofit seems overwhelming. Let's do the, let's figure out how to do the low-income Clinic thing, I think that's an important project. Um, but then Bob passed away, and it was Bob who works for me uh, and does the warehouse. He's kind of like, dude, you should, you got to take over the fun. And it's like, oh my God, of course. Like it was so obvious. Like we have the opportunity to, to carry on her legacy. And my wife, Stacy, has a ton of nonprofit experience. Um, and so we talked to the SPCA and we just said, Hey, we want to take over little bub's big fund. 
And on their end, it wasn't much. They just said, well, we'll just transfer the funds that you've raised. But first, you have to start a nonprofit. And so we started doing the work. Um, And I don't know if you remember this timeline, but basically, Bub passed away in December of 2019. And then the pandemic happened very quickly and aggressively. And in that time, we were going to announce that we were taking over the fund at her memorial event, which we had planned. And her memorial event was um, planned for like late March. And it was huge. It It was sold out at the big theater in town. We had guests, celebrity guests flying in from all over the country. And lockdown happened literally the day before before the event, like we'd already bought flights for everyone and planned the whole thing. And the Bub band had been rehearsing. And I mean, it was all we'd worked on for three months was canceled suddenly. But during the pandemic, we had time and Stacy did all the legwork and we, we got our 501c3 nonprofit status. And so now we have our family runs Little Bub's Big Fund for Special Needs Pets. Um, and it's it, we received our status in 2020, I think. And so that's how we're carrying on her legacy. And it's um, it's going really well. And I feel like this was sort of like uh, what Bub had planned. And it allows us to just continue to raise money and awareness. And that's sort of like with Mr. Marbles, we adopted him and, and the, I really didn't, I have no interest in making another cat famous because I never made Bub famous. Like she made herself famous and that's just something that happens. But Marbles is a unique cat. He's a very special cat and he could sort of be like a, just a, a figurehead, a poster cat for the fund. Now the Bub's passed on. What we're planning is um, a lot of community outreach, and my plan is to put together a program to visit schools, to talk to children, um, and hopefully marbles will be down to come so there's some sort of element that kids can get extra excited about. Um, And it's going to be multifaceted to talk about Bub's story, um, talk about animal awareness, what kids can do. Um, and it, and it's going to talk about anti-bullying as well. Sort of that, that idea that our differences should be celebrated. Um, and, and how Bob exemplified that. So that's a big thing to start working towards now that, you know, we can do things in person, but obviously we're still raising money and we're rewarding grants to organizations. Um, we work with an organization called Waggle, which is a crowdfunding platform for emergency vet care. Um, and so, you know, between all that, we're pretty busy and Bub's still, still doing her, her good work. And as when, oh, oh, sorry, Julia. Um, no, no, you're good. I was going to say, you know, as part of her her legacy, we think of like you know, the continuation of little Bub into the future. You have spent so much time in that voice that you described earlier, that voice of intelligence and kindness. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure still today, there are probably things that come into your brain. You probably say them the way she would say them. Mm-hmm. Like, is there an example that maybe you could share? Or even like, if there's something that she would want to say to Mr. Marbles, like what might be like, 
yeah. like a well, really good example of like a little bubism to Mr. Marbles. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> we do that sometimes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she would say probably something like, um, you're doing an okay job, Marbles. You could do better. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> what she would say. She'd probably say, you're doing okay. I was, I was better, but um, it, it, we can't expect you to do as good of a job as I did. But so long as you do what I tell you, everything will be fine. That's what she would tell him. And then he would run off and hump a pillow. Well, so, um, she uh, it was. She sounds like she was just an incredibly special cat, and I I had been following her account for a very long time. Um, before you, you know, we've had the opportunity to chat with you before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, like you're saying, you could just tell that she was obviously really special, and and that she just exuded something that was intangible in, in many ways that you couldn't really quite put your finger on, but you couldn't help but love her and just, you know, smile when she came across your feed. And I think it's such a blessing that you are able, I mean, and still able to bring so much joy to people's lives through her and that she was able to, to touch so many people in the process. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to wrap my head around it sometimes, but um, I owe a lot to her, you know. Besides that, she changed my life completely uh, in in every way. So, so I met Stacy, my wife. Um, that's why we have kids. I mean, she's sort of like changed the trajectory of everything, and um, and I learned a lot from her, a whole lot. Uh, so and what, yeah, do you, was, what, what do you think the greatest lesson is that you learned from her? I think she taught me like truly un- unconditional love that, um, you know, how, how to, th- that's the first time I really cared about someone more than myself and not just like saying like, I care about you more than myself, like truly having that feeling that this, she comes first above everything else. And it's like she prepared me for for parenthood and and everything. And um, at every moment, like even still, everything that happens really feels like she's still looking, like looking over me and the family. So, yeah, I miss her a lot. Well, thank you again for for sharing her story with us and your vulnerability too. I, I, I can't imagine what it was like to go through that so publicly. And, and I've, I've personally not lost a pet yet that I, I have a dog who I feel like I love in the same way that you love little bub. And it's the first time I've had a dog with the type of connection with her. And, um, and I, but I've not experienced what you've experienced. So I, I can't imagine what that's like, but uh, it's it comes through how much how much you loved her and you're both lucky to have found each other. We we were <clears throat> losing a pet's hard, but you know that's something we we take up. You know we don't live as long as our pets do, 
wait, the other way around. Our pets don't live as long as we do. And uh, it, it, it does, I mean, the, it's, it, my emotions towards Bob are literally just about the bond I had with her. And it's nothing to do with either that she was famous or whatever. It was just, yeah, that's how deep it is in, in you know, Pet love. Everyone that has a pet has a deep bond with them, and, and losing a pet's a really hard thing to go through. But we realize how much we learn from our pets, and that they're more than just like accessories or or like a fun thing to have around. They're our family, and um, I guess that's why people have had them for as far as <laughs> as far as uh, history goes back. And as and for your uh, nonprofit and the work that you're doing, um, what's the best way that people can go learn more about it and support the work that you're continuing to do and, and honor of little Bub? So the nonprofit's website is goodjobbub.org. Um, and that's the best place to go. We also raise funds and there's a newsletter to sign up for. That's fun. We share success stories every at least every month. And then um, I th- that's the best place to go. We also are raising funds through an organization called every.org. Um, and you can just search Little Bub's Big Fund on there as well. Right. Well, we'll make sure to share that with people. And again, thank you for your time. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and, and hearing her story. And um, we'll make sure to stay in touch with you before we share the podcast and make sure you're good with everything. Cool. It, you know, it's sometimes I think that you obviously we script out our questions ahead of time before we interview people. And, and oftentimes though, the interview doesn't go the way that you expected it to in a, in in a positive way. And I think that happened here where one, the origins of Lil Bub's story and, and how that took place, the, the pureness that Mike had in terms of wanting to make sure that if Lil Bub was going to have a large online presence, that there was purpose and meaning behind it and that Lil Bub's uh, health was the priority. Um, but also just the, you know, I, did, I guess I also didn't expect it to get as vulnerable um, as it did. And, and um, you know, just the, the pain that you can carry still for such a long time after losing a pet and just how that stays with you in in a way that you can't fully grasp at times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I thought going into this interview, you know, we were going to be talking, you know, about Little Bub, you know, the movie and the media coverage around Little Bub, the t-shirts, just, you know, those aspects of her, her life, her legacy. And I, I knew that just from her content that he was very deliberate and very thoughtful with what he was posting. But I, um, as soon as we asked that question, I could just see it on his face that this was something that he, you know, was starting to relive again in that moment. And, you know, I'm glad that 
we were able to give him some space during the conversation just to process it? Well, I think it just, I think we underestimate the, we've talked about this a ton, I feel like already, but we do underestimate the impact that animals have in our lives. And, and if we really, I I was telling a friend the other day about, I, I started not looking at my phone anymore when I ride the elevator with Ruthie, because I realized that I'd be looking at my phone while riding the elevator. And then Ruthie would be sitting there just staring up, looking at me and giving me these eyes. And I don't know what clicked for me in a moment, but I said, you know, one day I'm not going to get those eyes from her anymore. And I want to cherish every single moment that I can with her. And now I just bend down in the elevator and just, she'll jump up on me and I'll pet her in the elevator. And it's way more rewarding than looking and scrolling on Instagram or whatever and seeing whatever stupid stuff people are posting. And I can't get those moments back with her. And I think, you know, what she's taught I me, mean, he was talking about how, you know, Lil Bub taught him unconditional love. I think Ruthie's really taught me to be present and to enjoy in the moment fully. And I, and I feel like I do that with her more now and um, because I don't know how many moments I'm going to get like that with her because as he said, you know, we live longer than we outlive our pets. Um, and, and I noticed that. I mean, we've known each other for a pretty long time now and I do think that she's she's brought that to your life. I don't want to say like grounding because you didn't need grounding, but just that like, connection <laughs> to the immediate, <laughs> to, to what was immediately in front of you. And um that's totally noticeable to anybody who who knows you. Yeah, and but he, I think what he's doing in terms of carrying on Lil Bub's legacy and the nonprofit work, and and um, you know, Mister Marbles having to carry the torch. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, no pressure, Mister Marbles. Oh my goodness, I would cave under the pressure. Those are big paws to fill. <laughs> Very big paws. Somebody, somebody's got to do it, and. Um, but it's just great to see that they're continuing the work and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they continue to use, use her as a, as a conduit to, to change the lives of other animals and to, and to change people too. Absolutely. No, I'm feeling just very, um, you know, inspired and energized by this. You know, I want to learn a little bit more about what his organization's doing and, also just feeling inspired to go back and rewatch season one of Twin Peaks now, not going to lie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that might be what I do in the next couple hours. I'm not going to lie. While you, while you guys were talking about Twin Peaks, I Googled Twin Peaks because I didn't know what Twin Peaks was. <laughs> oh, Anya, I think you'd hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice that you guys were able to have that little moment together. I was really happy for the two of you. <laughs> But uh, on that note, make sure you go to the goodjobbub.org website uh, to to learn more about how you can support the nonprofit. And for those who continue to tune in, or if this is the first time you've tuned into the podcast, we thank you. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, like and review our podcast on Spotify, iTunes. We have a Patreon if you want to continue supporting these efforts as well. And as always, we love sharing these stories with you. We can't wait until the next time.